we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday night, December 10th, 2019, kicking off the show, Trans Europe Express by Kraftwerk. Yes, indeed, the seminal pop synth alternative band from Germany, Kraftwerk, which hip-hop fans would also recognize uh, <clears throat> that tune from... Africa Bombadas and the Soul Sonic Forces um, Planet Rock, which was a uh, a big hip hop hit in the '80s. All right, we've got a big show to get to. We've got uh, NFL Week 14 in the books. We've got the Final Four for the College Football Playoff, and we've got some Mets news that potentially could be exactly what the doctor ordered. But we begin with the Lions in the NFL. And again, I know I, I lied last week. Apologies. I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on them. I ended up spending almost 20 minutes on them. Um, the game last week against Minnesota is uh, inconsequential. They lost 20-7. to No surprise there. I called it last week. Anybody with eyes could tell you that they were going to lose that game. And they are going to lose out. I mean, the Tampa Bay is playing much better. They're going to lose to Tampa Bay this week. They will lose to Denver in Denver for sure. And even if Green Bay doesn't need that game in uh, the last game of the year, they'll lose that game too. Um, but what you're seeing now is uh, damage control and spin come from uh, Matthew Patricia and essentially Bob Quinn because Bob Quinn runs and hides during the regular season. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. This is the team that he's put together. This is his fourth year. He says nothing. He addresses nothing. Um, Lions got fined. Not that I care, but they got fined last week for being cute about leaving Stafford off the injured list. And then he ended up missing, um, you know, now he's essentially going to miss the rest of the year. Uh, But yet they still refuse to put him on injured reserve as if even if he were healthy playing him in any of these games, now that they sit at 3-9-1 would make any sense. And look, nobody loves Matthew Stafford more than I, and I understand that if he was healthy, he'd want to play. And you could argue that, you know, certainly the team owes that to him, but it really makes no sense. It makes no sense. And that's when management and leadership in an organization, unfortunately, or not fortunately, just the reality is they need... They need to be the adults in the room and say, Matthew, we love you and we get it and we know that you want to play, but the risk does not uh, outweigh the reward here. It makes no sense for you to play. Our season is over. There's nothing, You have nothing to prove. We know who you are. We know how good you are. Rest up and we'll go get him next year. Now, particularly if, which is not unfortunately likely not going to happen, but... Um, if Patricia and, and, and Quinn were broomed, which they should be, and, and, and I'm going to get to all the reasons why in a second, um, then you don't want you know a new regime to come in saddled with potentially an injured Matthew Stafford. So let him rest up. Let him heal up. Matthew, we love you. Nobody questions your heart or commitment to this organization. Nobody questions your competency, your skill level, your desire to win. You're one of the, the best people in the NFL that should be celebrated. Unfortunately, you're not. Um, nationally, anyway. 
But that's it. He should be gone as far as playing this year. Obviously, he should be the quarterback next year, not gone. He should be done for the season. Um, so now the damage control and the spin is coming out. You hear now Matt Patricia, and again, he's Bob Quinn's mouthpiece, right? They are they are joined at the hip. He was Bob Quinn's guy. Bob Quinn hired him because, remember, 9-7 wasn't good enough. Bob Quinn was asked point blank at his press conference when he fired Jim Caldwell. And this is before he hired Patricia. But when he fired Jim Caldwell, when the Lions finished Jim Caldwell's last season at 9-7 without making the playoffs, they had been 9-7 the year before and made the playoffs and lost to Seattle. They were 7-9 the year before that and 11-5 in Caldwell's first year. And we'll get to that too. Um, He was asked why, essentially. Why now? Bob Quinn didn't inherit Jim Caldwell. And look, he would have been well within his rights to fire Jim Caldwell, I guess, when Bob Quinn took over the team. Um, only, only in so much as because he didn't hire him. Now, some might say it would be a little rash to fire a guy after two years who, whose first year went 11-5, and five, made the playoffs, and were it not for a ridiculous picking up of a, a pass interference flag in the Dallas game, likely would have won a playoff game. And then a 7-9 and nine year the next year, which, again, not great. 7-9 is better than anything Patricia's put on paper so far this year. But he decided to keep him. Okay. And remember, the Lions finished the second half of 2015 strong, right? They were 1-6, I believe. And then Martha Firestone Ford decided to fire Martin Mayhew and Tom Lawand, which I don't think anybody had an issue with at the time, including myself. Martin Mayhew hit on some high first-round draft picks and brought some real stars to this team, like Matthew Stafford and, and Dominican Sue. But he also really screwed up the second round, Darius Slay being the exception to that rule. Um, you know, did not plan properly for Indomitian Sue's imminent departure when he could have drafted Aaron Donald, who's the best defensive tackle in all of football, and instead idiotically drafted Eric Ebron. So Mayhew was certainly <laughs> not without his faults, and nobody had an issue with him being, being fired. But my point is, the Lions finished the rest of that year strong. But if you wanted to just give the new GM the benefit, because usually the way it works is GMs get to pick their own guy. Now, you could also argue, by the way, that the Lions botched that whole situation, right? You fire the GM and the president, who was Tom Lawan, GM being Martin Mayhew, typically you fire the coach too. But Mayhew had been here longer. He had hired two coaches. He'd hired Schwartz, and then he hired Caldwell. So he had a longer track record than Jim Caldwell did. But again, usually it's part and parcel. New GM, new coach. They usually go hand in hand. Lines did it differently. Of course, it's not worked out. So, when Patricia says, trust the process, when Patricia says, oh, we're really close, oh, when, when, when Patricia has the gall 
to say as he did this past week, well, our record is not indicative of the type of team we are. Um, sorry, Matt. And I know it's a, an old hackneyed, cliched line, but Bill Parcells famously or infamously, however you'd like to view it, said many moons ago, you are what your record says you are. This is pro football, Matthew, Patricia. There is no ribbons for seventh place. There's no hearty hand clasps and pats on the back for only losing by one score. This is professional football. And remember, Bob Quinn was asked, is this roster good enough to win now and be in the playoffs? Is that why you fired Jim Caldwell? And his answer was yes. He even had the gall, Bob Quinn, to mention that, well, yeah, we beat some of the middling and bad teams, but we're in, our record against the upper echelon of the NFL has not been good under Coach Caldwell. Um, how about that you lost to the 1-9 Redskins this year? How about that? How about the fact that you let Mitch Trubisky, one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, have two of the best games of his life, three if you count last year, against you? But Caldwell couldn't stay here because he couldn't beat the good teams? How about start try beating the bad teams first? So so this is now Patricia's, this is his self-preservation mode, his BS spin mode, right? Oh, the record, we're not as bad as our record says we are. These guys are really trying. And that part is true. I'll give him, uh, I will agree with him on that one fact. The lines do not quit. Although Darius Slay looked like he would have rather been anywhere else but Minnesota on Sunday. And frankly, I don't really even blame him. But aside from that, the rest of this is just noise. And it's just garbage. And it's just CYA. Cover your ass. It's a bunch of horseshit excuses. Because it's interesting. Jim Call and, and now, of course, now the whole thing is a rebuild, right? This is now the new terminology. This is a rebuild. Except it wasn't a rebuild because Bob Quinn told the world that it wasn't because he told you 9-7 and seven wasn't good enough. But now that Bob Quinn has revealed himself to be an incompetent general manager and now that Matthew Patricia has revealed himself to be an incompetent head coach, Now, all of a sudden, let's scramble. Let's go into self-preservation mode and look for excuses. What's the the easiest one? Oh, it's a rebuild. Here's a newsflash, Lions fans, that are buying this horse shit. Teams with franchise quarterbacks don't rebuild. Okay? You know who's rebuilding? The Dolphins. Guess why? They don't have a quarterback. You know who's rebuilding? Cincinnati. Guess why? Because they decided Andy Dalton's not good enough. And he's not. Andy Dalton's okay, but he's not a franchise guy. He's not on Matthew Stafford's level. Even though I understand they made the playoffs a few years with him there. But he's not. The Redskins are rebuilding. They don't have a franchise quarterback. They think, they hope they might have one in Dwayne Haskins. I don't think they do with him, but... Arizona starting a rookie quarterback this year. The Jets starting a second-year guy. The Giants starting a first-year guy. Those are all the other teams that have records similar to the Lions. All of them have unproven either rookie or second-year quarterbacks or scrub veterans like Ryan Fitzpatrick on the Dolphins 
shouldn't say scrub, journeymen who are just there to, to hold the fort down until they can find, hopefully for them, their franchise guy. The Lions have their franchise guy. It's the hardest position in sports to fill. And the Lions have it. And now they're going to try to promulgate this bullshit narrative that they're rebuilding? What are you kidding me? What Rebuilding what, Bob Quinn? And man, remember, this is the NFL. This is a league that is designed for teams to not have to be bad for an extended period of time. The worst teams get the highest draft picks. There's a salary cap. They could spend as much money as every other team. This isn't Major League Baseball in the 90s when the Yankees could spend four times everybody else. You supposedly play the easiest schedule, the worse you are the following year. The entire league is designed for parity. And now you're going to try to tell me with a franchise quarterback you're rebuilding? And the, and the sad thing is, is there are Lions fans out there that are buying this garbage. And listen, I love him to death. One of my favorite all-time Lions is Chris Spielman. And I like what he does as an announcer. And he does lots of Lions games. He does their preseason games. He's around the team. He does some of their, you know, the games on Fox. He just did this game last week. And he said, I think you got to give these guys another year. And he even used the rebuild word. Sorry, Chris. I love you to death. I could not disagree with you more on this point. Doesn't add up, folks. Franchise quarterback, a league that's set up where the rules are set up. The rules are in place for teams to not have to be bad for an extended period of time. If you have even competent coaching and management. And now the Lions are going to go from 9-7 and seven in Caldwell's last year to 6-10 last year and 3-12-1 and one this year. And that will also, by the way, include losing 12 out of their last 13 games. But we're rebuilding. Uh-huh. Okay. Keep buying that, folks. Keep drinking the Kool-Aid, Lions fans. It's funny. Why didn't Caldwell have to rebuild? He took over the Jim Schwartz era. Remember, Jim Schwartz did rebuild. He had to rebuild. He came off. He took over a team that went 0-16, the first in the history of the NFL to do so. The Browns have done it since. But at that time, no team had ever suffered the indignity of an 0-16 season. The Lions, of course, were the first ones to do it in perfectly fitting fashion. It's a nice alliteration there. Perfectly fitting fashion. So they went 2-14 with a rookie quarterback his first year. They went 6-10 the next year, and Stafford missed a ton of that season. They went 6-10. and 10, They won their last four games. They went 10-6 and six the next year. Made the playoffs. And then it all, it all snowballed from there. They started out 4-4 four and four in 2012. Lost out. Lost their last eight games. It was a horror show. Lost games in, in, in mind-numbing fashion. The Tennessee game comes to mind. Then in 2013, they were 6-3 and, and in the driver's seat and collapsed down the stretch. Went 7-9. They fired Schwartz. They hired Jim Caldwell 2014. So, so Jim Caldwell took over a team that the year prior to his arrival was 7-9. and nine. The year prior to that 
was 4-12 and and finished the season on an eight-game losing streak. And yet somehow, without rebuilding, he managed to go 11-5 and his first year. I didn't hear him giving a whole bunch of horse shit excuses. He just went out and won. And if you want to try to tell me that the roster was better then than it is now, yeah, it is. Yeah, it was, rather. It was better. Guess why? Because Martin Mayhew, for as bad as he was, was still better than Bob Quinn. Because Bob Quinn has done a wretched job with this Lions roster. His drafts have been mediocre at best, and his free agent signings have been unmitigated disasters. Exhibit A, Rick Wagner. Highest paid right tackle in the NFL. He's about... Mm, he's ranked near the bottom of the barrel. And by the way, I don't care about rankings. You know my feelings on pro football focus. It's a joke anyway. Just watch Rick Wagner play. He's not any good. Certainly not worthy of the contract that he has. Exhibit B, Jesse James. Lions gave him $24 million, I think, for four years. He has about eight catches this year. And I'm not. that's not even an exaggeration. He's been a complete non-factor. Does nothing. Justin Coleman, highest paid slot corner in the league. He's had a horrible season other than a couple of good games early. Christian Jones does nothing. Linebacker. And then Quinn actually had the audacity to, to, to extend him for some reason. Kenny Wiggins. Backup offensive lineman who they like to play a lot for some reason. Not very good. Marvin Jones about the one good free agent pick Bob Quinn's made. And then the drafts, I mean, listen, Jared Davis, enough said. Tease Tabor, enough said. Also, remember this about Bob Quinn. Bob Quinn inherited Amir Abdullah. He didn't have to keep Amir Abdullah. But Bob Quinn fooled himself into thinking that Amir Abdullah, was running back, was a franchise back when Amir Abdullah had given zero signs or any indication that he was to be trusted as being a lead franchise-type back for an NFL team. Given none. Showed a couple of flashes, a little little ability here or there, of perhaps being part of a rotation or a third down back. Certainly not a bell cow. And so then rather than acknowledging that and drafting Alvin Kamara in the second round, which he could have, he passed and decided to draft Tease Tabor, a cornerback from University of Florida who ran a 4-7-40. I think I ran a 4-7-40 in high school. Now, I was considered fast, probably not a 4.7, maybe a 4.8. But nevertheless, my point is that is laughably slow for a cornerback in the NFL. In fact, not no other GM in their right mind would draft a corner that ran that slow. None. And then what does he do? He begets one bad decision with another. So the following year in the draft, now that running back is clearly a desperate need, he idiotically trades up. Which, by the way, his, his mentor, Bill Belichick, Patriots never trade up. They trade down. But apparently Bob Quinn wasn't paying attention when he worked for the Patriots. So he traded up for pedestrian, China doll, injury-prone Carrion Johnson, whose first two years here have been a t- total bust. I don't want to hear about his one good game against the Dolphins last year. Okay, He cost the Lions two games this year with that idiotic end zone... Uh, Putting the ball, trying to put the ball over the end zone against the Chiefs and a drop on third down against Green Bay on Monday night. And then he's been hurt the rest of the year. Listen, 
Good guy, hardworking guy. It's not about personalities. It's not about whether you like these guys. I understand that the Lions draft choir boys and hard workers and blue-collar types. That's their new thing. I get it. And that's all well and good. But it's also about results. So I'm not disparaging Carryon Johnson, the person. And I'm not saying he's not tough, but he's injury-prone. NFL's a tough business. It's a tough sport. And he's got a slight frame, and he runs harder than his frame will allow. That's, that's not a criticism of him as a person. That's just a fact. And you would think a professional talent evaluator would be able to see that on film. I saw it on film. I hated the carry-on Johnson pick, particularly because they traded up. Because teams with multiple needs don't trade up. You need as many assets as you can in the draft. That's how good teams are built. Unless you're a team that went, you know, 12 and 4, 13 and 3 the season prior, and you're one guy away, and you've got enough draft capital that you couldn't trade up and get that one guy, and you hit on him, that's, that's about the only instance where trading up makes sense. Otherwise, it's beyond idiotic. Because as running back, the running back position in the NFL is proven now, by the way, these guys, a lot of them are a dime a dozen. Yes, you have some franchise guys like Ezekiel Elliott. But you also have studs that guys teams get in the third, fourth, and fifth round. And the, and the spread between the two from an Ezekiel Elliott and say a... Well, Nick Chubb, I think, was a first-round pick. I'm trying to think who was a... Oh, uh, Kareem Hunt. Third-round pick. Several, a few years ago. Anybody who's listened to my show for a while knows I was all over that guy coming out of college. Third-round pick. You can tell me Ezekiel Elliott's that much better than Kareem Hunt. I'll tell you Kareem Hunt's better than Ezekiel Elliott. Now, they both have off-the-field issues, but I'm just saying, as far as talent is concerned, they're pretty much right there neck and neck. My point is, you don't have to expend massive draft capital. You don't trade up for on Johnson. Another idiotic move, which again, just keeps hurting this team more and more. Since Bob Quinn's gotten here, the running game gets worse and worse every single year. The offensive line, which he's devoted a ton of resources to, either via draft picks or free agents, has been mediocre at best. Downright bad a lot of times. This year, it's about maybe middling, maybe league average. And again, this is another reason why pro football focus to me is irrelevant. Because it's got Taylor Decker rated like top 10. It's got Joe Dahl, the left guard, rated top 12, I think. It's got Ragnow, the center, number one all overall grade. Graham Glasgow, right guard, top 10. Rick Wagner's way down there in the 20s, low 20s or something like that. But so if all those guys are so great, how come the Lions can't ever run the damn ball? How come... They give up sacks and pressures all the time. How come when the Lions need to get get a yard on third and one, they can never get one? But all these guys are great. And listen, I'll be the first to admit, they were better this year. But overall, the offensive line's been a sore spot for this team. So listen, these guys can spin it any way they want. They can use every excuse in the book. I just gave you a tangible evidence and facts as to why Bob Quinn is unfit to run this team and thereby Matt Patricia because again you can't have one without the other they're the same it's the same thing and my, by the way Matt Patricia has shown no 
ability to be a big-time head coach. None. None. No indications. We can go back to the first game of the year when he called timeout before lines, right, as the lines are on the verge of running a play that ended up netting them a first down and a big gain that would have essentially salted the game away. We've talked about his clock management, still has issues there. He's not a big-time coach. It's just not. And, and you know what? Good. Let the Lions pull the trigger on another guy who came here to learn how to be a head coach too soon. Let him go somewhere else. Guess, guess what, by the way? You know where he'll go? He'll go right back to New England. Because Flores is now the head coach in Miami. Patricia, go right back to New England. Now, unfortunately, I think these guys probably have Martha Ford fooled and Rod Wood, the, the, the president of the organization, fooled. They're chirping in their ear. And they're smart. Listen, they're smart. They're, they, they know how to play the game. They know that they've got a bunch of really good, solid citizens. And again, I don't mean to make light of that. That is a, that is a nice thing to have. As a fan, it's nice to root for guys that are good guys. I get that. But ultimately, you got to win some games. And these guys have not shown any ability to do that. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back right after this. All right, we're back. Tuesday night edition of Jamal about sports. So, listen, it's funny. I, 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 I don't want to pat myself on the back here too much, but uh, Peter King, big column about how Mike Tomlin might be the coach of the year. Uh, again, we're talking about that now for what? Three weeks? Four weeks? They won again. We talked about it last week. It was a big game. Game they had to have in Arizona. Wasn't pretty. Didn't play great the whole time. They did enough to get it done, though. And so now I think by virtue of that was an NFC win, Tennessee beat Oakland. That was an AFC win. I think right now Tennessee has a better AFC record, so they would be the five seed, and the Steelers would be the six seed. But let's take a look, shall we? And again, we went down the, the schedules last week. It, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough. Steelers have a hard schedule, but they're eight and five right now. Joe Hayden's playing great. Two interceptions on Sunday, including the game clincher against Arizona. Had a big interception a week before against Cleveland to clinch that game too. He's playing out of his mind. Former Brown, by the way, who never really kind of lived up to the hype. He was a top 10 pick. Cornerback. Um, but he's playing great for the Steelers. So let's take a look, shall we? Uh, hmm. You're really not giving me playoff here, ESPN.com. Really? Well, let's see. I can I can do it this way. Steelers are eight and five. They are six and three in the conference. Tennessee's eight and five. They're six and four in the conference. No, so the Steelers right now would be the five, and and Tennessee would still be the six. Okay. The Raiders uh, kind of got blasted again. After it's funny they had that. What was that big win they had? I guess it was against San Diego. 
And yes, I understand they play in LA. I'm still always going to call them San Diego. Sorry. It was that Thursday night game. And ever since then, they've gone right down to tubes. Raiders have lost three in a row. Yeah, they were 6-4. and four. Now they're 6-7. and seven. They got embarrassed again the other, uh, last week by, te- uh, by Tennessee. Tennessee, by the way, we talked about them a couple weeks ago when AG was here. Uh, Tannehill playing great. Team 6-1 since he got there. Not since he got there, since, since, since Mike Vrabel put him in the starting lineup. By the way, credit to Mike Vrabel, Tennessee Titans head coach. Because, boy, I mean, I, I dismiss them as being, you know, n- n- nothing of consequence. And I've watched some of them play a little bit lately. They, they have some good players on that team. Talked about Derrick Henry, one of the most underrated backs in the league. Uh, it's A.J. Brown, a rookie out of Mississippi. You know, D.K. Metcalf got a lot of hype. This kid A.J. Brown's playing great. Uh, you know, they got Taylor Luan back and uh, Conklin. Offensive line's much better. That defensive line's very good. They got the Simmons kid, who is a rookie out of Mississippi State, who was hurt first half of the year after an injury in college. He's back now playing well. Jarrell Casey, always really good. Harold Landry, who I wanted the Lions to draft two years ago out of BC, is good. It's a good team. Kevin Bayard, the safety, is a very good player. Not bad. Now, I don't know if I really trust Ryan Tannehill. Remember, seven games. You know, I remember when Josh McCown had that magical run for the Bears several years ago. And everybody got all excited. And then, you know, Josh McCown turns into Josh McCown. Same thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, Tannehill might be a little bit different because he's a little younger. And... He wasn't exactly coached by uh, George Hallis, Vince Lombardi, and uh, Bill Walsh when he was in Miami. He had Joey Philbin and Adam Gaze and uh, Matt Matt Campbell, uh, not Dan Campbell. So perhaps with a good coaching staff, which it may appear that Tennessee has, and some players around him, maybe he is a decent player because he was supposed to be. He was a first-round pick. Now, he was a bit of a controversial first-round pick because he mostly played he played wide receiver his first two years in college. They moved him to quarterback at Texas A&M. But he's a great athlete and a big, strong guy. He's got all the measurables, as they say. Got a ton of physical ability. Could just be a late bloomer. It happens. So that was that game. Chiefs, Kansas City, I mean Chiefs, Kansas City, Chiefs, uh, Patriots, Sunday night. Look, the Patriots got Patriots. A couple bad calls went their way, didn't go their way, went against them. Touchdown should have been called for Enkeel Harry. Uh, They said he was out of bounds. He wasn't out of bounds. Uh, Patriots ended up having to settle for a field goal there because they were out of challenges. Because Belichick challenged a couple other plays that he probably shouldn't have challenged. But he's smug and he's Belichick, so that's what he does. Um, the fumble that they blew the play dead, which they're never supposed to do. Now, I don't know that he definitely scoops and scores on that. Because I think some of the guys in the Chiefs gave up on a play too because they blew the play dead. But, um, nevertheless, and they ended up getting the ball back anyway. So, but I understand that they're, I under, I, listen, I'd be very mad if I were a Patriots fan too. Guess what? Again, nobody cares, Pats fans. Nobody cares. You have won how many games? Because you've been on the, the, the positive end of hor- horrific officiating, including 
By the way, last year's AFC Championship game to these very same Chiefs, when I forget who the deal was, it Chris Jones or was it uh, Justin Houston maybe, who's now with the Colts, you know, put basically put his hand on, on, on Tom Brady's shoulder blade and they called that a personal foul. Or when Tom Brady threw the game cl- clinching interception that would have lost them the game, except they called D. Ford lined up offsides, which he was, except the tackle opposite him, Trent Brown, was also lined up illegally. So it should have been offsetting plays. At worst, you play the down again instead of giving the Patriots a first down. So nobody, nobody cares, Pats fans. Nobody cares, okay? And by the way, the only way you moved the ball at all in that game and could score was on gimmick plays. You, you scored on a flea flicker, and your other biggest play was also on a flea or on a double pass. That's it. Your offense is lousy. Finally. Finally having no players is catching up to the Patriots. Because guess what? They always had Gronk. Not always, but they had Gronk or they had another tight end when Gronk would miss time with injuries. But when Julian Edelman is your number one receiver, your offense stinks. Sorry. I don't care how good Tom Brady is. And a shaky offensive line. And I know Isaiah Wynn is back. And he's certainly better than... uh, Marshall Newhouse, who was playing left tackle before him. But um, the offensive line's not great. They got to Brady a ton. Everybody gets to Brady a ton this year. He's throwing balls at guys' feet constantly just to, to avoid sacks. Chiefs defense, by the way, playing much better. But the Patriots' offense isn't very good. They have no running game to speak of. Sonny Michel is basically MIA. So... You can complain about the refs all you want. Your offense is lousy. It's lousy. Talked about Tennessee, Oakland a little bit. I mean, they just thrashed the Raiders. Game of the week was San Francisco, New Orleans, 48-46. San Fran went into New Orleans and won that game. High-scoring affair, obviously. Back and forth that game went. Garoppolo acquitted himself quite well with four four touchdowns. George Kittle with a huge catch and run late in the game. Um, they looked like the two best teams in the NFC. And then you had the Rams, who, you know, it's funny. Everybody kind of forgot about the Rams. And rightfully so. Look, they got blown out on national TV by Baltimore. Um, they looked bad uh, against... Who was the other team they looked at? Was it Tampa Bay at home? They had two terrible blowout home losses. One to Tampa Bay and one to Baltimore. But they've righted the ship. They're now 8-5. and five. Goff's starting to play great again. Gurley's back involved in the mix, starting to play well again. And since the Rams shipped big mouth Marcus Peters out of there and got rid of uh, Aqib Tlaib uh, and replaced him with Jalen Ramsey and uh, Troy Hill... That defense is really starting to take off. I mean, we always knew the, the front was good. With you know, starts with Donald and then Fowler and Brockers. And Clay Matthews, actually, the ageless one, is, is contributed there as a situational pass rusher. Um Rams defense is playing really well. Wade Phillips has that group playing well. And you know what? Give Sean McVay credit. 
Because, you know, he was easy to make fun of. I made fun of him too, right? The boy wonder, 32 years old with the George Michael beard and the perfectly gelled hair. And, you know, he's got uh, endemic memory where he can remember, you know, every play he called in a game and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's actually, I have nothing against him. I, I make fun of him good-naturedly. But, you know, as, 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 as the NFL hype machine tends to do, you know, so a guy has early success and, you know, looks the way he does and is, is you know, photogenic and good personality, they tend to overdo it. Obviously, they made the Super Bowl last year. But, you know, the, the, the Patriots completely shut them down, shut that offense down. But he does what real coaches do. Is he went back to the drawing board and he said, okay, how do we fix this? Instead of make, cramming guys into his precious system, he said, oh, let's get Todd Gurley back involved. Let's start running the ball again more. Unlike Matt Patricia with Detroit, where apparently he can only coach a certain type of player. They can only fit his scheme. See, because he can't draw up schemes to fit the talents of the players that he has, which is what good coaches do. No, 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 no. Everything is about his precious system. Sorry, couldn't help it. Had to get a shot in there. So, and then the Eagles won last night against the Giants in just, I mean... (laughs) Hideous game. Eli played because Daniel Jones is hurt. He looked good early. Darius Slayton, one of the few bright spots for the Giants this year, the rookie six-round pick out of Auburn, wide receiver. Uh, two fairly long touchdowns, 150 yards in the first half. I think he got shut out in the second half. Um, you know, look, if you're the Giants, I understand that, you know, they let up a touchdown in overtime first drive and somehow – Zach Ertz, the, the only guy, basically, that Wentz looks to throw the ball to, somehow managed to get wide open in the end zone from the three-yard line. But at least the Giants are playing these young guys on defense now. Julian Love, Sam Beal. You know, I think Valentine, Valentine got hurt. But, you know, DeAndre Baker. I mean, that's three young guys in the secondary. You put Valentine in there, that's four. That's four guys. Look, who knows if they're going to be any good? But, you know, Sam Beal was a supplemental pick a couple years ago. A lot of people were very high on him. He's supposed to be good. You know, DeAndre Baker, obviously, a late first-round pick. He's supposed to be good. I know he struggled a lot. Most rookie corners do. And then, you know, the edge guys. Listen, I was a big low Carter guy. I didn't make the jump that I thought he would make. I'm not giving up on him. And X-Man O'Shane Jimenez, you know, he's shown some flashes this year. He's also been quiet. Again, he's a rookie. And then, you know I like B.J. Hill. You know I like Dalvin Tomlinson. I think Dexter Lawrence has actually shown some flashes this year. The rookie D-tackle out of Clemson. Who knows they keep Leonard Williams. He actually had a nice game last night. Former high draft pick D-tackle out of, from the Jets. I mean, I think there's some, some pieces there. I don't think the Giants are totally devoid of talent on defense. Look, I know the defense has been awful all year. I'm not debating that. But I think the Giants are a good coach and a couple of smart moves away from being a competitive team next year. I really do. Pat Shermer doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I'm sorry. I mean, a perfect example is that game last night. You know, in, in the end of the fourth quarter, uh, Philly had the ball, what, about their own 40, third and nine, two-yard pass completion. There's about 50 seconds left. I think the Giants had two timeouts. Philly's not going for it there. And by the way, you know, no offense to Anthony McFarlane doing the game, but, I mean, he fell for it too. And he's like, oh, I think they got to go for it. Of course, there's no way Philly goes. Philly goes for it and doesn't go and doesn't get it there. 
The Giants are at the 40-yard line. They need 10 more yards to kick a field goal and win the game. The Eagles are in a playoff hunt. The game is meaningless for the Giants. In fact, it behooves the Giants to lose so they have a better chance to get Chase Young. In fact, I was rooting for the Giants to win because if they won and the Lions uh, lose out, the Lions might have a chance to chase Young. So, I mean, Pat Shermer, what are you doing? You have nothing to lose. Second that they stopped him there on third down, you got the play was inbound, so the clock was running. You got to call timeout there. And then you dare Doug Peterson to go for it. And if Doug Peterson, like a dope, does go for it and doesn't get it, now you've got a world of time left plus two timeouts to go kick a field goal and win the game in regulation. And then, you know, of course, after the game, Sherman said, well, we weren't sure what they were going to do. How are you not sure? You think Doug Peterson, who needed that game desperately, who would have been, who was thrilled to go in overtime. You kidding me? Of course he wanted, they were down 17-3. Of course he wants overtime. Particularly the way the second half went when the Giants offense couldn't do anything. So he probably wouldn't, Doug Peterson probably wasn't even worried that if the Giants won the coin toss and took the ball to start overtime, which by the way isn't always a gimme now, considering the fact that if you don't score a touchdown on your first possession, the game's not over. And these end, overtime is only 10 minutes long now. So there was no way Doug Peterson was going for it there. None. None. I couldn't believe I was sitting there watching the game going, what are you, out of your mind, Pat Shermer? Come on. Yeah, he's got to go. Got to go. Again, said it last week. Justin, my boy Justin, will tell you too. No, nobody understood the hire to begin with. The guy had no resume. Didn't really seem uh, well-suited for New York. Very strange. Now, the other, the other question is, do you keep Gettleman? You know, now, the Giants front office... You know, ownership, I should say, has been loath to to get rid of GMs quickly. You know, they got rid of McAdoo real quick, which was that was the right thing to do. I don't think anybody's going to debate that. But you know, Jerry Reese was here for a while. And by the way, I know Jerry Reese. The end was not very good. Jerry Reese, the beginning was pretty good. Now I understand a lot of that was some of Ernie Acorsi's guys. But go back and look at that Giants 2007 draft. I think every pick made the team, and a lot of those guys were contributors and guys that were late-round picks like Ahmad Bradshaw and Kevin Boss. I think Terrell Thomas was a um, was a the uh, corner out of USC. Corey Webster. I think both their starting corners. I think both those guys were Jerry Reese picks. Jerry Reese did a good job early, not great late, but he's good early. So that's basically your recap of NFL Week 14. So you got the Cowboys and the Eagles are both 6-7. and seven. <laughs> And we talked about their schedule last week. You know, Redskins, Giants, they play each other. Chiefs clinch the division. They're 9-4. Texans, weirdest game of the week, got blown out at home by Denver. Blown out. Killed. That game was 38-3, I think, at one point. A 38-10 at home. Coming off a win over the Patriots. So, that division is way up for grabs. Right now, the Texans, by virtue of a 3-1 division record over Tennessee's 2-2 record. But, you know, right now is meaningless. There's three games left here, folks. Division's far from over. Baltimore 11-2 won the division. Already, I think they've clinched the division. 
Another solid win up in Buffalo this past week. Buffalo's at nine and four in decent, you know, obviously in the driver's seat for a, a wild card. Let's take a look at Buffalo's schedule here down the stretch, though. I, I do want to take a look. So Buffalo has got not the easiest schedule here. They're at the Steelers this Sunday night. Interesting game. Definitely a game I will be looking at and excited to watch. Then they're at the Patriots. Listen, talked about the Patriots before. If there, if there was ever a time to get them, now is the time. And then they got the Jets at home. So I think you could probably, and, and, and I'll say this for the Jets. They are, first of all, they're a very strange team. They, they got a lucky win against the Dolphins. They got an overturn of a non-pass interference call, turn into a pass interference call. It's a call they haven't made all year. Now they decide to make it. This league's a joke. I mean, I have nothing against the Jets. That's fine. Whatever. But I'll say this for the Jets. They're playing hard. They're, they're not quitting. I will say that for them. So while on paper it looks like that'd be an easy win for the Bills at home against the Jets, hmm. I don't know about that. As long as Darnold plays. Not that he's great, but he's certainly so much better than any other options the Jets have. Although, I mean, the Jets, you just can't. I mean, there's so Le'Veon Bell got a, had a bad virus, couldn't play. It was legit. But then he's seen out bowling that night, which, by the way, I mean, bowling. For, I mean, if you're sick, just be home. I mean, it's just a bad look. It just looks bad. Is it the end of the world? No, but it's just it's just classic Jets nonsense. So anyway, that's a tough schedule there for the Steelers. I mean, for the Bills. At Pittsburgh, at New England, and then home against the Jets. You'd think they'll get one of those three and get to 10 wins. 10 wins should get them in to the uh, as a wild card. Um, you talked about Pittsburgh. And Tennessee battling it out. I mean, they can both get, you know, so they're, they're both battling for that second wild card behind the Bills. But again, the Bills aren't guaranteed anything yet either. And again, let me look at Pittsburgh's schedule here. I know we did this last week. Sorry, my memory's not as good as it used to be. I probably, probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I probably would have remembered the Steelers' schedule a week later. But these days I don't. All right. We know they're home against the Bills. Then they're at the Jets. So the Jets could make some hay here. They could definitely play spoiler. And then they're at the Ravens, which that's right. We talked about that. Even if the Ravens have everything sewn up by then, they would love to knock the Steelers out because that's a blood feud. They hate each other. All right. So that's interesting. That's the NF uh, AFC playoff picture. And then in the NFC, um, look, Seattle... I I, I, I I had I like the Rams in that game a ton. Seattle just come off emotional Monday night win against a good Vikings team. Short week on the road, division rival. The Rams played the, the, the Seahawks real tough the first time they played them this year in Seattle. Right? Zerline missed a field goal in that game, which he usually never misses. One of the best kickers in the league. So the Rams are still alive at eight and five. Seattle's ten and three. They're a game behind San Francisco at 11 and 2. New Orleans in fine shape at, at, at 10 and 3. They have clinched the division. They've clinched the division. The Chiefs have clinched the division. The Ravens, I'm sorry, they didn't clinch the division. They've clinched a, a playoff spot. 
So I guess if the Ravens were to lose out and the Steelers were to win out, they'd both be 11-5, and five, but I guess by virtue of tiebreakers, the Steelers would win that division, not the Ravens. But nobody <laughs> expects that to happen, Ravens having won nine in a row. But that means they're due to lose a game here. I mean, what are the light, are Ravens really going to win their last 12 games? If they do, more power to them, but that is a tall order. And let's see. They are home against the Jets. When is that? Thursday. That's, no, that's this Thursday. Okay. Then they're at the Browns, and then they're home against the Steelers. It's weird. Their worst loss of the year, the Ravens, was to the Browns, and that's when the Browns were reeling. Now, the Browns came back and beat the Bengals last week. They're making it somewhat respectable, but, you know, who knows. All right, so that's your AFC playoff picture, I think, right? Oh, no, we've got to go out to the West. Oh, no, no, we're, we're good. So, technically, the Raiders are alive at 6-7, and seven, but no. Same with the Colts. Colts had a bad loss to Tampa Bay this past week. Um, they've lost three in a row. They were 6-4. and four. Now, they're 6-7. and seven. Again, folks... Say it all the time. I know it's only 16 games. NFL's a long season. Long season. Six and three, six and four, meaningless. NFC, Green Bay at 10 and three, Minnesota 9 and four. Bears on life support for a wild card spot at seven and six, but they're behind the Rams who are eight and five. Again, right now, well, not right now, anything. It's way up for grabs. Green Bay, Minnesota could both win the division. San Francisco, Seattle, either one of them can win the division. You would think the loser of those two divisions would be a wild card team. And maybe both wild card teams. The Rams probably need to win out here. To get, I mean, I think 11 wins probably, you're going to need 11 wins in the NFC to make the playoffs this year. 10 for sure. That's a wild card. Rams are at the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys, yuck. I mean, that, that performance on Thursday night against Chicago was hideous. At 49ers, tough game. And then home against the Cardinals. They certainly could go 2-1, and one, the Rams. So, we'll see. All right, we're going to wrap it up here with the, uh, college football. So, we are finally in. Uh, we got our, our final four teams here for the college football championship. So, pretty much everything happened that we thought would happen, right? We said the only, last week we said the only thing up for debate really was if Georgia lost, which everybody expected them to, and, I, and you know I'm a Georgia fan, but I did as well, and that held water, LSU blew them out. Um, man, Georgia just doesn't have the offense this year. They just don't. They can't keep pace with a team like LSU or any other really good offense. Um was if Georgia lost, which we thought they were because they were ranked fourth, who's going to be who's going to get in amongst Utah, Baylor, or Oklahoma, right? So Baylor would have had to have beaten Oklahoma, and Oregon would have had to have beaten Utah. Well, Utah got smoked, unfortunately, by Oregon on Friday night. That whole game changed, by the way, first drive of the game. Utah went for it, rightfully so, on fourth down from about midfield, gave the ball to Moss, their big bruising back, who had a crease if he would have just hit it right up between a guard and a center and instead tried to bounce it outside, got tackled for no gain, even maybe a one-yard loss, 
and pretty much it was over from there on in. I mean, they tried to go for it a couple more times in the first half on fourth and short. Again, I agree with the decision, but couldn't get a first down either time. They kind of got themselves back in the game to one score early in the third quarter, and then on a third down, Oregon's back took the ball, uh, you know, like 50, 60 yards for a touchdown, and that was that. So, anyway, LSU held up there under the bargain. Ohio State, poor first half against Wisconsin, very good second half. They ended up pulling away and winning, I would think, what, 38-21. Clemson blew out Virginia, no surprise there. And then Oklahoma in a thrilling overtime win against a very game Baylor team. By the way, give Matt Rule, the the Baylor head coach, a ton of credit. I know I've talked about this before, but he took over a, 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 a program that was reeling in the wake of all the Art Bryles nonsense that went on over there. And you know, look, that's what, and listen, Baylor's not pretty, right? I mean, give them credit. They're down to the third string quarterback. Their first string quarterback got hurt. Got a concussion. Brought in the second-string quarterback. He was all over the place. When Oklahoma went up 10, I was like, this game's over. There's no way Baylor can mount two scores here. They just can't move the ball. Oklahoma's defense is much better than it was. Kenneth Murray, that middle, that linebacker that they have, is a stud. And then I look away for a second because I had to get ready to go out to a, 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 an event. And they bring in another quarterback. He throws an 81-yard touchdown. They're right back in the game. So give Baylor a ton of credit. Third string quarterback took Oklahoma to the wire. That's what that you know. It's what Matt Rule did when he was at Temple, right? Tough teams, gritty, hard nosed, and that's what Baylor is. They're not that pretty to watch, but if you're a Baylor fan, you got to be thrilled. And plus, he's a, he's you know he's not one of these guys megalomaniacs like a Sabin or Urban Meyer takes himself so seriously. He's just like a nice, down to earth, humble guy. Kids love him. You know, listen, that's a perfect example. So it'd be interesting to see. Because if he keeps going like, you know, 10 and 2, right? Competing for Big 12 championships, making the Big 12 championship games. First of all, they should never get rid of him, right? As long as he's as long as he's winning nine, eight or nine games a year there at Baylor. I mean, again, you're Baylor. Who do you think you are? <laughs> right? So if he's winning eight or nine games a year and he's running a clean program and some of his kids are graduating and some of his kids are making the pros. That that's fine. The interesting thing to see will be if he gets an offer from another, you know, higher profile program, whether or not he takes it. Because sometimes, you know what? Nice to be a big fish in a small pond. Stay where you are. They love you there. But I give him a ton of credit. But Oklahoma's in. They're four. LSU's the one by virtue of their blowout win over Georgia. And LSU has the best wins of anybody, right? They beat Florida. They beat Alabama. They beat Auburn. And now they just beat Georgia. I mean, they, they, had, they had five wins against top 15 teams. I, I mean, I'm sorry. You could try to tell me by the eye test Ohio State's better. I don't know that they are. Ohio State, again, we looked at their schedule last week. You know, the Big Ten's not that good. I mean, I understand Minnesota had a, a Cinderella season. You know, we debated the merits of Michigan this last week. Big name. Are they really all that good? They're okay. They're not terrible, but they're not great. It's not a great Michigan team. And by the way, Ohio State beats them all the time anyway, especially since Harbaugh has been there. Ofer. Um. So LSU, I think the committee got it right. LSU won. 
OSU 2, Clemson 3, Oklahoma 4. Now, the funny thing is, maybe one of the more predictable things in the world is Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney. I mean, nice name. Right out of central casting. The head coach of Clemson. Um, complaining and moaning and groaning that, oh, they we better beat Virginia. They don't want us. They could have lost to Virginia. They're still going to be one of the top four teams. You know, they don't want us in any way. We're the defending champs. We won all these games in a row. And all those things are true. But if you're so great, Dabo, then why do you care where you're ranked? You're so good. You should be number one. Then why do you care? Why do you care where you're ranked? You could go beat anybody then, right, Dabo? Who cares if you're three, four, one, two? Doesn't matter. You know, now you're going to moan and groan that you got to play uh, Oklahoma State. I mean, Oklahoma State, Ohio State. Please. The us against the world card. Listen, I'm sorry. The ACC, Miami's lousy. Florida State's lousy. Who else is there in the ACC? Virginia? Please. Virginia Tech? In old days when Frank Beamer was there, but not recently. And Justin Fuente's not a bad coach. And Virginia Tech's not a bad team, but they're not an elite team. Virginia's not a bad team, but they're not an elite team. It ain't the SEC, Dabo. Sorry. And look, I'm not telling you that you're not a great team. You are a great team. Etienne's a great back. Quarterback's great. T. Higgins is a great wide receiver. Um... Not Justin Simmons. I forget his first name. The Simmons kid, number 11, the linebacker is great. I mean, they got studs all over the place at Clemson. No question. But if you're so good, shut up and just go beat somebody. Stop moaning and groaning. That is going to be a tremendous game, by the way, Clemson, Ohio State. And then LSU, Oklahoma will also be a great game. You've got two transfer quarterbacks in that game. Joe Burrow, LSU, who's going to win a Heisman hands down and likely be the first pick in the draft against Jalen Hurts, who's already won a national championship, by the way, at Alabama. Helped the team get to and win another one when he was there. And transferred to Oklahoma from Alabama. So two transfers from big-time programs. Burrow's at Ohio State. And look, you know I love Jalen Hurts. He's been way too careless with the football recently. Way too careless. Got away with a couple against Baylor. He's got to hang on to the ball. You cannot turn a ball over against LSU. You cannot give that offense short field or extra chances. You can't. It's too good. So I'll be looking forward to those four games. Four games. Two games for sure. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, peace out.